everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Ladies' Room. This stall is occupied by Mike Cernovich. Welcome to the show, Mike. Um, I wanted to bring Mike on today because he shared a very interesting uh, Twitter thread concerning his experience with mental health and watching that from an outsider's perspective, so I wanted to kind of introduce him and let him tell his story. Go ahead, Mike. Hey, Kim. Yeah, great to um, great to meet you. Great to talk. Yeah, I started a a thread on Twitter because one trend that I've noticed is whenever like Anthony Bourdain or someone commits suicide, everybody go- pretends to really care about mental health, but they don't. It's absolute and total lies, virtue signaling. It's a way to get 10,000 retweets. Oh, if oh Anthony Bourdain died, he's trending. I'm going to post the suicide hotline and then get those you know retweets. And then you read their timeline every day and they're just really mean, nasty people to everyone. They don't care. They don't share any information unless it's a great way to surf. So it's a form of virtue signaling, which I don't like in a general rule. And then having grown up in an environment where one parent was severely mental ill, real stuff, you you learn a number of things. Number one is nobody talks about it. Nobody's it's like you're not allowed to, right? We always have people say, oh, PC culture is shutting down criticisms of political issues, kind of. But there's nothing politically incorrect about mental health, but you can't talk about it. It's one of those issues that you're, you're not, not allowed to. It really is true, and you see that when you do talk about it, and that's why most people don't. And I thought, well, fortunately for me, one of the big advantages of having been smeared unfairly by the media so many times is I can talk about whatever I want to talk about. There, there's no way to, to shame me at this point. And I thought it was an important issue to talk about, especially as it coincided with a, a personal event of my mother, who is going to end up dying in a mental institution, most likely, as her mother did, who had very bad schizophrenia. And the I got a call. It was very, very sad. I get a call from my, my hometown area code. I figure it's my dad. And my mom says, I'm trapped with 20 people. And you're like, no, no, you you know, she's not trapped. But in their mind, right, it just spins. It's very horrific. And people make light of these kinds of issues. And they don't talk about it. So I posted a, a Twitter thread. And I heard from, like, all kinds of people. You wouldn't believe. Everybody deals with it. And to me, that's frustrating because, okay, why don't you talk about it more? Right? Why are you DMing me? Why are you but, – but it's largely because of the issues that I, that I mentioned. People are ashamed to admit it even though it's a common issue that everyone faces. Well, beyond having shame to admit it, I feel like um, a big way that people manipulate um, popular opinion is by throwing around diagnoses that they don't actually understand, but that people have commonly affiliated with someone being incompetent. Um, we see people doing that with the president right now. We see people doing that with people like Tim Pool and Laura Loomer and Milo. They just write off these um, ridiculous diagnoses. And you, and you too, you know, these ridiculous, um, you know, self-proclaimed diagnoses of, of, of um, mental disorders instead of directly debating and instead of actually having a conversation about, you know, why they disagree with you. They say, oh, just write them off because they're crazy. And when you live in a in a culture where that is prominent, it's almost impossible if you feel like you might actually suffer from that or if you've been diagnosed. How are you going to bring that up when you feel like, you know, somebody is just going to get into an argument with you and just say, oh, you're invalid because of your disorder? Right. Exactly. So 
you you bring up a lot. Um, you bring up a lot. So one is that there trivial mental health is horrifying. It's mm-hmm. absolutely horrifying. First of all, oh, people say, "Sir, you're narcissist." No, actually, I'm not. If you have narcissistic personality disorder, there's just a a lot long line of people in your life that you've destroyed. You like Michael Avenatti, probably. I'm not going to do diagnosis, but there, there's a long line of things. You don't you don't reach where I am at my life and think because I goof off and play with my hair or something. That's not narcissism. Mental illness is actually horrific. Even people mm-hmm. who are narcissistic. Even though they victimize people, they themselves are forever leading a life of feeling inadequate. They, no matter where they are in life, they have to steal from people because they don't have enough money. Now, they, they, we tend to not have sympathy for narcissists because they victimize other people. But it's a horrific thing for someone to be a narcissist, to wake up every day feeling inadequate, not enough, looking around and being jealous of people, feeling rage, feeling like you're not getting the kind of respect you deserve. And it's a pathological disorder. It's a very, very sad thing. And the media, they only seem to care about mental illness is if they can call Rudy Giuliani senile. Oh, suddenly, suddenly, oh, let's make light of that. Actually, let's not make light of that. When I was 18, one of my jobs was working at an at-home hospice watching somebody who has Alzheimer's. Horrific. I had no idea. There's a reason I don't make Alzheimer's jokes. When you have Alzheimer's, you don't just forget where my car keys, I forgot my iPhone password. They forget to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So they they poop on themselves. They they pee on themselves. They you, when you have memories, people don't realize that your identity is based on your memories. Hi, I'm Kimberly. I'm existing in space and time. I'm married to this man here. I live in this place. Everything that I've done in my past is part of who I am. Everything I want to do in the future is part of who I am. So imagine you wake up. Where, where am I? Where's this room? Oh my God, have I been? This horrifying. And that's what yeah. happens. You don't even know who you are anymore. This is horrific stuff. And then Rudy Giuliani slips over a couple words here and there. Oh, look at, you know, look at him. Senile. Actually, if he's senile, it's the very, very sad thing to be. And I don't, I don't think he is. He's just a little bit old. Yeah. And then what happens, and it's happening generation wide, we're now having the intersection. And this is a real crisis. This isn't the world ends in 12 years if we don't um, start recycling and buy a Tesla. This is really happening as age-related dementia if you're over 80, there's a 50% chance you'll develop Alzheimer's. These are just statistics. You can go by age, okay? Yeah. Just, okay. So what happens now with people who already have mental health challenges, and this is happening more and more, one in four women are on antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications. Whenever I tell people that, they don't believe me. I'm like, okay, well, I didn't make this up. You can go find it. Mm-hmm. So what happens if people are already having mental health struggles? And then as you get older, you're going to get them anyway, even if you're the most physically fit, sharp person, you're going to have age-related cognitive decline, it's called. So you have the intersection. This is what's happening to my mom. Age-related cognitive decline with the bipolar. And that's what happened to her mom. Her mom, she has schizophrenia. People go, oh, you have split personalities. You must be schizophrenic. No, no, no. When you have schizophrenia, you walk by a mirror and you think ghosts and demons are going to jump out of the mirror and scratch your face. And you have to put towels. My, my um, mom's mom would put towels on every mirror because you're afraid demons literally are going to come out. And this is all very sad stuff. Yeah. But but the only time people talk about it is, uh, one, to get retweets when Anthony Bourdain or somebody famous dies. Oh, we care so much. When Avicii died, I was really depressed, actually, because I used to um, play – uh, levels to my daughter that was like our song it was like the only thing that would get her to stop crying you know the whoa 
so he's sad. He's 28. He kills himself. That why? What went wrong? And then there's a whole line of people around him. A girl from Parkland. She just killed herself because she has survivor's guilt because her friend died in the Parkland shooting. These are real issues. And who's talking about them? Me? Some supposed internet troll? Right? Why are people in the media not having real serious conversations about this? Oh, Kanye is bipolar. He supports Trump. Uh, okay. Well, well, how's that funny? How is that cool? How is that an appropriate thing to say? And that's what people do. Nobody, nobody's really having a real serious conversation about these issues. And mm-hmm. I, so I figured I'll just talk about them because I like to talk about what other people aren't talking about. Well, in an age where this statistic has come up several times when I've been doing this podcast, to be honest, and and when we're living in an age where more people die a year of suicide than of breast cancer, but it's so hard to talk about suicide, um, there's got to be more than one person that's willing to start a dialogue because um, people are, are so uncomfortable with the idea that they're struggling mentally that they don't even acknowledge it as a problem. It's almost as if, you know, they broke their leg and instead of going to a doctor, they just limp around and, you know, hope hope and pray that someday it'll get better. But it's just not going to happen. And more likely than not, it's going to keep um, degenerating and get worse. And then before you know it, you know, you've lost a limb and you, you, have, no, you have no reason except you didn't ask for help. Um, and the environment isn't um, a comfortable one in that sense because there's a lot of, um, you know, people have a lot of nightmare stories involved um, when they try to go get mental health of getting over-medicated or misdiagnosed and um, that, that scares people away. And then, like, we've been talking about, you know, with um, people throwing around diagnoses as insults, um, it's generally a toxic environment for people who actually might really need help. Well, you're shaming people, and Glenn Grinwald, to his credit, pointed this out with the Kanye stuff. You're shaming people indirectly. You're saying, oh, Kanye likes Trump. He's an idiot with bipolar. Let's all laugh at Kanye. So imagine you actually really have bipolar. Are you going to be able to – are you going to feel comfortable coming out and saying – or if imagine even Anthony Bourdain and you're – everybody's saying if you're depressed, you're a loser. You're bipolar like Kanye, LOL, pathetic, you loser, you're garbage. Are you going to have the courage when you're already depressed, which is a physiological state? So people who are normal function like, well, if you're depressed, why don't you just tell people, hi, I'm depressed? It doesn't work that way because mm-hmm. you feel like you're a worthless human being who doesn't deserve to live your life. And you're saying, well, just be more correct. No, it's a physiological – it's like telling somebody with one arm, saying, oh, go, why don't you just go shoot a basketball, right? Why don't you just go play yeah. in the NFL or something? It's completely moronic. And once people become educated about these issues, then they do have a little more compassion and m- maybe people will be a little less glib. So I, I wrote an article. Um, people said it was clickbait, but it wasn't. I said, who killed Anthony Bourdain? And people go, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. I'm like, well, read the article. And the, the point of the article was we all did. We all killed them because we mock people with these conditions. We use mental health as a way to shame people who aren't actually mentally ill. So people every day go, oh, Mike Sermich, you know, he's mentally ill, this and that. I'm like, well – Actually, no, because if you traced a timeline of my life, I have an 800 credit score, law school, law degree, books, film, like I'm a high functioning person. So to the extent that I'm mentally ill, that, that's not a good exemplar, right? But they mm-hmm. want to use that as a way to insult me. But what you're really doing is you're telling everyone else that there's something wrong with being mentally ill. Keep that sh- to yourself. Mm-hmm. And they do. And then they kill themselves. And everybody goes, oh, I can't believe can't believe these people are killing themselves. This is such a sad thing. Retweet me. Suicide hotline. Let's get them retweets going. It, it really is the, the lower impulses 
of the, the so-called mentally health people, the people who are healthy are way worse than people who actually have real struggles. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, would you say that your experience um, from a young age watching someone deal with um, these mental disorders has kind of given you um, a different insight, especially when you're looking at the, the environment that you live in now and you and you see different people struggling in different ways? Um, do you maybe feel like you have a, a, a different perspective on that that other people might not have been able to have otherwise? Well, I have experience and experience is what gives you at least a little bit of empathy. Unless you're a sociopath, then you would say mental, mental illness is like a really sad thing. I mean, I even had a guy stalking my family and, you know, we were getting all kinds of death threats and everything else directed at my child. And, you know, my wife's very protective. I'm protective too, but I, I was like, Shauna, this guy's mentally ill. You know, if, if I call the police, what I'm doing is having a mentally ill person uh, potentially institutionalized and arrested and everything. So I actually struggled. Like if you're if you're a mentally healthy person and you say anything about my family, I'll, you know, let alone make threats. I'll make it my mission to, to destroy you. Right. But this person is legitimately mentally ill, paranoid, up at three in the morning, would send emails to reporters the most implausible things that the mind of a really, truly mentally ill person. So I actually, even when I'm being attacked by some people in, in a way that is criminal, I think, man, this is a, a mental health case, right? This person, but then ultimately that person had a couple of kids. And then I thought maybe he's abusing his children. Who really knows? You know, I got to look out kind of not just look at it as being personal to me. So I ultimately had to call the police and, you know, get all that stuff sorted. But you, when you see it, you don't laugh about it. Of all no. the any, I've made a lot of bad jokes in my life, a lot of jokes over the line. I don't know that I've ever made one about Alzheimer's or bipolar or any. I mean, I've maybe here and there, but it's not something that I'm known for because I've seen it firsthand. It's just, it's just sad. It's just depressing. And the the only way to to make it better is to let people know. Okay, you get help, right? You you feel like if you feel depressed. People aren't going to make fun of you. People aren't going to laugh at you. People want you to be alive. People around you, not only do they want you around, but if you kill yourself, there's a cascade effect and it's going to add more, more suffering. And it isn't something to be ashamed of. It isn't something that you can help and control. That's the national ethos that we need to have around mental health is, hey, just like you wouldn't say to somebody with irritable bowel syndrome, you know, why do you, you know, why do you have to go bathroom 10 times a day? Right. Yeah. It, Imagine seriously, imagine that you have like IBS or something, Crohn's, and you're like, "What's wrong?" Oh, you run to the bathroom all day. Oh, lol. You would look at that person like a monster. You would say, "What is what is wrong with you?" Right? Absolutely. But that's those people who go after Kanye and Giuliani and everyone else. Those are those people are monsters because they are telling people who are who are struggling, "Hey, stay away from us." You're nothing. You're, you're human garbage. That's what they're telling people. And I'm here to tell people you're not. Those people are the ones who are sick and they're the ones who need help. Well, uh, I feel as though I, I just actually watched something about Monica Lewinsky the other night and it, it kind of um, made me think about the whole um, interaction of the of the of social media and the Internet and how that kind of is a, is a whole monster in and of itself disguised as this amorphous anonymous person who just wants to hurt your feelings and like can say whatever they want. Um, I, you know, everybody but Mark Zuckerberg has come out and said that they believe that social media tears apart the fabric of society and that they regret doing this because they created a whole new level of addiction. Um, 
you know, how, how would you, as somebody who partakes in um, social media actively, advise people with, um, you know, who struggle with depression or who struggle in general with, um, um, you know, even like online harassment to, to kind of cope with that in a healthy way? Well, there are a number of issues. One is that the largest perpetrators, the greatest perpetrators of online harassment are mentally ill people. And that gives me no pleasure to say, but I like to say things that are true is they'll develop because I've been the victim of it where they develop fixations on you and they imagine things about you that just aren't true. Stalkers, for example, the person who shot Ronald Reagan uh, thought Jodie Foster wanted him to do it. And the son of Sam thought a dog was talking to him. So that isn't to denigrate it, but that's just one component. Another component is if you're prone to depression and you're looking at other people living idealized lives, then that you're going to feel more depression because you're going to say, well, I'm not living that kind of life. This is even worse, even though it's an idealized version on social media, right? I don't yeah. post pictures of my kids screaming and throwing a tantrum at the floor. So if you see my kid, you know, like, wow, she's a perfect little baby. I'm like, yeah, for about 30 seconds. And then <laughs> for five minutes later, she's n- not so perfect, but I'm not going to post embarrassing videos of my daughter. Yeah. And so you have to realize it's an idealized life. And then if you're plugged in, that's why I view this Russia collusion conspiracy theory, not to politicize this conversation, because I've also always been against people on, quote unquote, my side. Obama's going to declare martial law and that kind of, I always thought that was so toxic that you're, you're telling people, no, no, Obama was never going to declare martial law. Right. Bill Clinton was never going to declare martial law. There, there's going to be an election in 2020 and 2024. OK. So I don't like that on, on either side because you're taking people who are mentally ill and you're putting them in like a hyster- history, uh, hysterical state. So yeah. people are like – I think Kathy Griffin has major mental health challenges and not not to shame her because I, I hope she you know is, is doing things about that. But you can see they get spun up about what's mm-hmm. ever in the news. And if I – my advice to people because I do a lot of com- – not counseling in the – the, the traditional sense, but in terms of I did a guerrilla mindset, I have a lot of people who are suicidal, they've improved their lives and et cetera, et cetera. And I've written about depression and things people do for depression. And the number one uh, advice is if you're watching something that makes you feel bad, turn it off. Just yeah. turn it off. Avoid this. I'm huge on that even. I don't watch things that what, like when I when there was that mosque shooting video or whatever that was going around, I watched it for like three seconds. I almost threw up. Right. I'm not going to. And I'm perfectly robust and strong. I'm not going to watch it. There was a video of a woman in Morocco who was uh, attacked by terrorists and was the cat. I don't watch that stuff. And I'm a robust guy. So people who are who are having some struggles, you know, you want to go on Instagram and see everybody else living this idealized life. And then you feel like you're not living. Just turn it all off. And social media. On the flip side, too, is you can unite with people who are I'm I love social media. I think anybody who doesn't like social media has poor curation skills. Me, I get harassed. I get the worst of it. Um, I just block people. I love it because I can meet people like you that I never would have met ever in the history of the world would we have been able to meet but for social media. And people need to become better curators. If somebody gives you a bad vibe, block them. Somebody says something I don't like. They just say you know something critical of me. I just block them. And then people go, oh, you're triggered. No, I, but I don't want your negative, toxic, psychotic energy around me. And if you're having difficulties in life, you need to be even more. And, of course, there, there's a lower there, – you have less energy. So I understand this is very easy to say. But it, it, become, become a better curator is the number one life skill that everyone should have, whether you're really going through a tough time or whether you're 
like me pretty much you know, movies out and other movies. Out. I'm on top of the world right now, but I still curate very, very aggressively. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, um, can see where you're coming from a lot of that. Um, I actually, um, it, it, the, the, it stimulated the curiosity, um, to ask you, um, what you, what you kind of thought of the whole Roseanne Barr situation, um, like a, a, a situation where like a tweet kind of ruined someone's career, um, you know, or maybe not, I don't know, she's kind of, she is kind of still doing her own thing, but, um, you know, she very openly has always struggled with mental health and, um, how, as somebody, like I said, who is in the public eye, how do you think, um, like, what do you think of that kind of situation where somebody's career is put on the line for something that's, you know, maybe in poor taste, but not necessarily, you know, um, cruel or evil? Yeah, Roseanne's a great example. She struggled with a lot of issues and she was on Ambien and she probably has some impulse control things. And to me, that's where as a society, you don't want to have double standards, but you, you know, you kind of should. Maybe you give somebody a pass. Uh, Roseanne, you're you know a little unwell. Maybe you're on Ambien or something. Maybe you give people – it mitigates it. So at the very least, it mitigates it. So if a person is having a difficulty and they just say, eh, I'm not being an a-hole. I just was having an episode or something. Sure. Now the issue is then a lot of people learn to manipulate others by blaming everything on a mental health issue. And that's why these issues are so challenging. Oh, sorry I did that. You know, I was just going through an episode. And then they manipulate you by, by – and again, that's why these issues are complicated and people should should be having more conversations about it because, you, yes, you should maybe give a pass to somebody who's having a difficulty. But people are going to abuse that and you want to make sure that you're not being manipulated unfairly. It's, it's very hard. It, it just occurred to me as some kind of weird witch hunt, and it, it just it feels wrong to me in the sense that um, they kind of made a public example out of her, and I, I don't necessarily think that that was fair. Um, and even even like in a situation where you say something that's uncouth, um, it shouldn't um, you shouldn't you know be necessarily thrown under the magnifying glass for that. And she was you know harassed and called a horrible person. And instead, um, maybe the narrative should sound a little bit more like, where does that come from, is kind of my perspective. Because it also, it, it um, disables people who, you know, even aren't necessarily in the public eye if they're, you know, having um, a serious trauma issue or if they're going through a serious period of mental health and they have an episode, they're less likely to try to defend themselves and they're just going to fold because, you know, there's no point in trying to defend that. It, you can't. You know, people don't care as much if, if you have a mental episode um, or as if, you know, um, you get an illness, like a, a more visible illness. Well, and, and you raise a good point, which is that people who are actually struggling rarely use it as a crutch. And maybe they should. So it's, it's a weird uh, kind of catch 22 where the only people who claim they're manipulating and abusing and mistreating you because of their condition are the ones without the condition and the people who could maybe get a pass would, would never use it because they feel miserable and worthless because of it. So they feel like they're undeserving of forgiveness. And that's yeah. again, the fundamental paradox because even, even in my own relationships, I've had people who are just nasty people. And I would say, no, you're, yeah. ju you're just a nasty person. This is just bad. This has nothing to do with your, your depression, your anxiety. You're just, a, you're just a bad person. And if you look over to that person's life, you, you see a whole, stack of dead bodies 
metaphorically speaking, and they're trying yeah. to stand on, on you now. And that that is a great point. People who maybe deserve a little redemption or forgiveness are the last ones to ask for it because they feel unworthy. That that's the the the, the way that I always try to put these these challenges, especially depression, is you just you feel unworthy. You mm-hmm. feel like you don't matter. And, and it isn't the sense that we all feel that way sometimes. Oh, there's am I am I really you know it's not imposter syndrome. It isn't do I deserve everything I have. It's not, well, maybe I feel a little guilty because I had a good year and they're poor people. No, no, no. It is deep to your very core that you feel like you don't even deserve to live. That's what depression is. Yeah. Well, I mean, mental illness just encompasses so much more than depression. And because each person um, has had their own past experiences and we can't, you can't, I always like to say, you don't know how anybody other than you suffers. So you, you can't necessarily like put yourself entirely in somebody else's position and you can't always know like what they just came from or what situation they're dealing with at home. And it's just, um, because of that, um, and because, you know, mental illness is so broad, but because there's so many different varying factors, it's hard for people to immediately relate to each other. So it doesn't naturally come up, I feel. Yeah, there's, again, there's a number of issues and largely people are not having this conversation. People Mm -hmm. aren't having these conversations and they aren't, they're they're not opening it up and they'll, they'll find, you know, there's clusters of behavior. So bipolar is characterized by extreme mania which there isn't really much, unfortunately, the Seroquel and other things, there isn't really much that you can do. If a person is in a manic episode, there, there isn't really anything you can do. But when people are in depressive episodes, you, you're not going to go from, one, I feel unworthy of being alive, to 10, wow, I'm on top of the world. But maybe you can go from one to like a three or mm-hmm. one to three and a half where you're like, yeah, life kind of sucks. It's a little dark, but oh, I, you know, I, I'll get out of bed. In the morning. Yeah. And that's the way that's the way we should be talking about these issues are that you're not going to go from a one to a 10 or even a one to a seven or one to a six. But you can go from feeling like you don't matter and don't even deserve to live to eh, I'm bummed out. I'm really sad. I'm, I don't feel good. I'm a little weak. Physical pain happens to depressed people. There's a whole, again, cluster of you have physical pain. So there's ways to militate against those feelings of pain. And so there are things that people can do while being reasonable also, but people need to be able to have these conversations. Well, we also, you know, thankfully live in a really great time to be able to look for support. You know, we were talking earlier about social media and the internet being both toxic and helpful, but there's so there, there's more support groups and there's more online forums for people than ever in the history of time. You Even if you can't find somewhere public, you can, you know, find a, a chat somewhere where you can find people who have similar... Um, struggles or similar questions or you know hobbies and um, it's a great way for people to be able to um, express even a little bit Um, we talk a lot about on here on tiny little things that you can do to improve your day just a little bit every day and you build upon those habits um, to just generally be healthier and happier exactly there's a whole number of things but the flip side too is depressed people have kind of heard it all but they haven't heard it from people who have been through it and have actually helped people, which it describes you and my mindset work, even though I'm known for a number of things, I'm actually, my mindset work has been been going on for years. And yeah, there, there, are, there are things people can do. There are di- dietary things people can do that 
people have absolutely known. Again, improvement, not one to ten, but one to three, one to four maybe, or maybe you're not a one, maybe you're three. You work your way up to a five or a six, which is above average. And there are people who have done that through mindfulness, meditation, far infrared saunas. People have to find their secret sauce because it differs for everyone. But the even knowing that maybe there's a solution is hope. And that's what people, everybody needs to have. And that includes especially people with these health challenges are that if you wake up and think, well, I tried these other things that didn't work, I'll try something else. That in and of itself, just that optimism, the belief that where you are today isn't where you're going to be tomorrow or three years, five years, 10 years, that in itself can improve your mood. Absolutely. Um, and also, like I said, just in general, having any kind of support in whether it's friends, whether it's, you know, online networks, whether it's family, you know, whether it's a pet, um, just something outside of yourself that you can reach out to in a time of um, trauma or desperate need um, is always crucial, I feel, is for everyone in general. Yeah, just good life stuff. A lot of for the, so the issue fundamentally, the issue is, is that mental health is downstream from culture. And here's what I mean by that. Everybody, when I look around, even so-called healthy people are not living good lives. They're not physically active. They're not doing things that even if you're if you're physically healthy, you should be going to the gym. You should be lifting weights, doing cardio. Yoga has been proven to boost moods, blood flow. If you're eating bad food or if you're obese, you're, that's decreases blood flow to your brain. Your cardiologists and neurosurgeons agree that you're only as you're only as old as your arteries. So if you're not getting blood circulating well, that includes in your brain. So then you're going to notice a cognitive decline. So people in general who are baseline mentally health, mentally healthy, are not. They're mm-hmm. they're not even where they should be. So imagine you're depressed and you're living in a culture that shames working out and shames health and fitness and oh you're what are you into self help you're gonna you know, they mock self help I was thinking about that the other day where like what kind of loser would mock self help how dare you try to go learn how to live a better life or how to win friends and influence people or something like that it's unbelievable but that's culture why tell somebody hey I'm gonna go to a Tony Robbins seminar people are gonna make fun of you and. I just can't relate. But then again, I'm so far out of the matrix now that it, it becomes incomprehensible that people still choose to live that way. Well, I mean, one that absolutely drives me up the wall that I get a lot is that self-help and self-care is only something that can be afforded to if you're privileged. And it's just like that that concept to me blows my mind because you don't need privilege to take five minutes in the morning to write it in a journal You know, you don't need privilege to, you know, Google a YouTube video on yoga. Um, You don't, you don't, you don't need privilege to to decide to take better care of yourself. It doesn't, you don't need to throw money at that. Yeah, well, there's, there, uh, that's different. So that's almost kind of the, again, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get this political, but that's sort of the more left-wing view that if self-care is a privilege, but then again, most people's definition of self-care is, oh, I'm going to get a mud mask facial or something. And I'm not here to denigrate that because I, I do mud mask facials. But self-care is much more aggressive. Self-care mm-hmm. is eating fruits and vegetables, especially a lot of vegetables. Self-care is eliminating sugar. Self-care is far infrared saunas where you're, you know, you're really sweating out. I don't want to say toxins because that's not quite accurate. But it's been proven that far infrared saunas do help your body process a lot of uh, inflammatory factors self-care is yoga self-care isn't 
oh, I'm going to you know lay around today and eat a bunch of chips or something. So the idea that only people who are privileged can have self-care ignores what people can do. People can listen to binaural beats. That doesn't take any money. The videos are free on YouTube and put in some earbuds or something that come with your phone. And and again, too, that's where self-care is almost like shamed. Like, oh, you're self, you, you have time for self-care. You must be privileged. Come on, man. People, Buddhist monks have nothing. People in poor cultures meditate, Tai Chi. They're doing rural farmers in China do Tai Chi. Yeah, get out of here with that. Yeah, I, it actually, I don't know. I just feel like it's another way to create an excuse, like an, a barrier between um, your depression and your cure or, you know, your, your anxiety and your cure. Um, I get a lot of people who get really mad when I talk about fitness because they feel like, you know, oh, I don't, you know, my body isn't made for that. I don't like to do stuff like that. But what they don't realize is that their your mental illness, the same way a cancer would, is fighting for its own existence. And it wants you to sit down in front of the TV and it wants you to eat bad food and it wants you to not talk to people and it wants you to fester in this little bubble that's going to keep getting worse because that's how it'll grow. Um, so I just get a lot of people combating me with stuff like, you know, oh, it's just privilege. I don't have time for that that's not even stuff that would make me happy. Why would you even suggest that? And it's just like, you know, I, I guess mental health specialists and scientists, you know, over the last couple dozen decades are just talking out of their rear ends. You <laughs> know, it, it doesn't really make sense to, to believe that you can struggle, but still know better than people who put, dedicate their lives to understanding why that happens. Yeah, exactly. There, there's a number of issues. And again, that's why I said mental health is downstream from culture. We live in a culture that prioritizes medicating everything. We live in a culture that ridicules people who want to engage in self-development, become a better person, become more spiritually aware. We live in a culture that shames anyone who has a mental health condition. Well, every every part of our culture is designed to to borrow from the title of a film, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. Yeah. That's that's our culture, and that is assuming you don't have any baseline problems. They, you know, that sounds conspiratorial, but culturally, we live in a culture of fat, sick, and nearly dead. Well, I mean, even further than that, and this can totally get political a little bit if you want it to, because it's definitely relevant. Um, there's definitely, um, in my opinion, way too much of a fostering of um, instant gratification and comfort. Um, I, unlike most people my age, are am really not fond of this whole we need safe space and we need you know, we need to be coddled. And if you say something that is offensive to me, you shouldn't be allowed to say it to me. Um, you people need to be exposed to things that make them uncomfortable so that they learn how to deal with it in a healthy manner, especially people who do struggle with mental health problems. Because if you if you fester in this in this little bubble where it's like, oh, nothing's going to hurt me, nothing's going to hurt me. And then something does, you're not going to have any sort of basis on how to handle that. And you lose your cool and you scream and you throw tantrums and or you just, you know, collapse internally. So I feel like, that, like I said, that's the flip side of this weird kind of paradox we have with mental health because we're, we, you know, on this one end, we like almost don't care at all. We don't talk about it. And on the other end, it's like, oh, don't say that you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. Oh, don't do that. You're going to you're going to make this space unsafe. Um, and that yeah, is and let's so talk toxic. about safe spaces. But that's a, a good segue to there. And I think a good way to, to wrap up is mm-hmm. I believe in safe spaces. I believe that if you are meeting with people who have anxiety and if Milo Yiannopoulos or Ann Coulter 
or Donald Trump would give these people anxiety. I don't believe you should walk into the room they're in. But yeah, the absolutely. idea that that if somebody on campus is saying something you don't like, no, 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 that's not how safe spaces work. Like yeah. me, I live I live in a safe space. When I'm out here by myself, if you send me a text message and I don't like it, I don't answer it. If you put, post a comment I don't like, I don't answer it. But I can't go out into the world and say, oh, my God, like one time I stayed at the same hotel as Linda Sarsar. I can't say, oh, my God, I just saw Linda Sarsar at the lobby. I'm so triggered. Hey, we need to get her out of here. This hotel. That's not that's not the way it works. So I'm pro safe space. The But these children, they are abusing the mental health crisis by claiming that knowing that whatever Ben Shapiro or Dave Rubin or Sam Harris, people aren't even controversial in my view. Jordan Peterson, right? Saying, oh, he's in my town. He's in New Zealand or he's in UCLA. I'm triggered. That's actually a real problem. And if that if it legitimately does trigger a person to know that a person they don't like is in their town, and then I think that person should ask to be self-institutionalized because they they need to they need real serious treatment. And and of course we know that most of them are just lying about it or or they feel like if I'm sad, therefore I'm depressed. No, I'm angry, therefore I'm anxious. No, no, you're just angry as human beings. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so normally how I like to wrap this up is I ask two questions. Um, number one is if you were to have a younger version of yourself or somebody who is dealing with um, a parent or somebody in their immediate family who's struggling with mental health, how would you advise that person to help that person out? And the second question would be, um, you know, what advice would you give to people who, you know, are, are active on social media um, when it comes to dealing with people who are not exactly um, – friendly and who may cause a lot of um, problems, you know, for them on a daily basis? Well, the first question I've written about this extensively, like letter, that's kind of a its own genre, a letter to my 20 year old self or 15 year old self or whatever. So I, I did that, of course, for the, the clicks. And it was pretty good letters to my, my 25 year old self, 40 lessons when you turn 40. It's kind of a thing you do if you're in my genre of writing. And, and the number one lesson that I tell people is that it really is mindset really is everything and mindset encompasses everything. It mm -hmm. encompasses if I don't like that person, I, you know, if you have a job, you have to cope. It's different, but don't be around people you don't like. That includes your family. If people make you feel a certain way, don't be around them. Well, is that a safe space? Yes. It's okay to have a safe space in your own house, in your own social life. These are yes. called boundaries. Healthy people call this boundaries. Hey, you're just annoying me. Um, I, you know, I've, I've had people where they, you know, they would DM me four or five times a day on Twitter, ask me to retweet. And then I have a big film come out and they don't say I have a film come out. So I block them and people are like, Why, why'd you block me? Well, because that's a boundary issue. I've helped you yeah. way more than you could ever help me. And you want to pretend like I don't exist. That's just a boundary issue. So people can say you're triggered a safe space, whatever normal, psychologically healthy people should have boundaries because if you don't people are you're going to find a person in your life who's going to abuse you and manipulate you so number one thing is you know mindset is every everything slash boundaries are everything create boundaries and uh, aggressively enforce them and then that answers the second question on dealing with negative people is uh, you're just a boundary person i had a guy come to one of my events we had a film out and we showed it and he said your film it was about guitar and he goes your film is saudi arabia propaganda and I was like, well, I read what I've written about Saudi Arabia. And I said, well, that's cool. You know, you have your point of view. And he was 
basically filibustering the event. And then he started accusing my filmmakers of, of things and everything. So I yelled on the mic and I said, boundary issue. Don't come to my event and, do, and act this way. I don't go to your events and act this way. Don't don't come to my events and behave this way. If you want to come up and say whatever, insult me for 30 seconds, maybe even a minute, that's fine. But if you think that you're going to take over the microphone, this is your event. No, it's just not your event. Go hold your own event and I won't even go to it, right? So it's actually yeah. very parasitic where if he held an event, no one would show up. So he comes to my event under with a media pass of all things. So he didn't even pay. And then he wants to act like it's his event. So I just said boundaries. This is a major boundary issue. Don't talk to my people like this. Don't talk to me like this. Don't behave like this at my event. And everybody was kind of laughing because nobody had ever seen anything like that at an event. Because usually you just let them go or you roll your eyes or whatever. And yeah, enforce absolutely. boundaries aggressively and you'll feel a lot healthier. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on, Mike. Would you mind uh, sharing your social media handle for people to be able to follow you? Yeah, just twitter.com forward slash C-E-R-N-O-V-I-C-H. And best place to go is my website, which is cernovich.com, C-E-R-N-O-V-I-C-H.com. We've got everything there. All right, wonderful. Thank you so much, Mike.